WFTL. Oh, thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Um, I tell you, I was trying to consolidate some of my thoughts from these uh, Democrat debates, but it's just really hard. Uh, in my mind kind of goes all over the place, much like the candidates did last night. If you'd be so kind, raise your hand if you think it should be a civil offense rather than a crime to cross the border without documentation. Can we keep the hands up so we could see them? Uh, and let's remember, that's not just a theoretical exercise. That criminalization, that is the basis for family separation. You do away with that, it's no longer possible. Of course, it wouldn't be possible anyway in my presidency because it is dead wrong. Oh, well, thank you so much for that, sir. All hands went up just in case uh, you didn't notice. And then, of course, uh, everybody is talking about this moment. I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. Mm -hmm. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. There was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. I believe Harris on busing because she clearly just took Biden to school. Yeah, that was one of those moments, you know, and certainly uh, propelled Kamala Harris up. I was looking at her fundraising numbers right now. They were uh, phenomenal. Uh, so let's see. What are the 10 most important features that we learned from these debates over the two, last two nights? According to the candidates, this is number one. Apparently, the greatest existential threat to America after Donald Trump is the large corporations. In other words, the entities that employ millions of Americans. Just saying. Number two, we learned that several candidates want to boldly open the door to socialized medicine now. And the others, they just want to sneak it in through the back door. We learned that the media were surprised that Beto isn't the dream candidate they hoped he would be and who he claimed he was when he ran against Ted Cruz. They claimed he was, really. We also learned that Elizabeth Warren got some of her mojo back and she is on the warpath against capitalism. I didn't mean to do that. Yes, I did. We learned that several of the candidates are convinced that insurance companies and pharmaceutical company executives are criminals, but illegal aliens are not. We learned that all of the candidates agreed that the current health care system is a disaster, even though that system happens to be Obamacare, which they told us would fix the system. We also learned that the candidates seem convinced that the only obstacle to imposing their far left agenda as uh, as president would be uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. 
which is definitely the best fundraising message that Mitch McConnell could have ever asked for. If I was Mitch's people, I'd be flooding the uh, Internet and the mailboxes with uh, those quotes. Let's see. Uh, We learned that every candidate seems to think the solution to the problem of millions of people living in the U.S. illegally is to make them all citizens. We learned that uh, several of the candidates claim they want to get money out of politics, even though they love to boast about how much money they just raised for their campaigns. (laughs) Oh, dear. And uh, finally, we learned that free has never been more expensive than it's about to get. And that's the truth. Um, And and for many of us who who watch these things and, and looking at the numbers, I don't think that uh, that there's a disinterest in politics right now, but I do think that there is a fatigue setting in, and it's very early in this election cycle for there to be to, for there to be uh, you know fatigue. I will tell you that I wish, and at one point in my life, I actually considered becoming a campaign consultant as a uh, a career or at least a second job, and I had ample you know, requests. There were plenty of candidates who would have been glad to give me some money for elections that were um, focusing on the South Florida area. And uh, so I used to design uh, television ads, which now I think are becoming less and less relevant. I would be much more inclined to do YouTube videos and stuff than I would have been uh, even eight years ago. But uh, I could tell you that there is one given and that is that there will be a Trump ad where you um, play back that little piece where the, um, where the uh, what's his name, Jose, asked the audience or asked the, the, the 10 candidates that were up there if their health care plans would cover people that were in the country illegally. All... 10 of them raised their hands to give taxpayer-funded free health care to illegal immigrants. Raise your hand. I would have, my ad would look like this. I'd have that thing. I'd have the question asked, and then I'd say, okay, now raise your hand if you're ready to hand President Donald Trump a victory in 2020 by putting illegal immigrants before American citizens. That's everyone, right? You can't make this stuff up. You know, it's like I don't have to They're not going to have to work very hard. This is literally going to be a piece of cake for Donald Trump unless uh, they get some some good sense uh, into these debates and into these candidates' heads. Um, But I don't think that you're going to be able to sell that in Wisconsin. I don't think you can sell it in Minnesota. Well, maybe in Minnesota you seem to be able to sell Ilhan Omar there, so you might be able to. I wonder if that has to be counted, that moment in the debate last night, as an in-kind donation to the Trump re-election campaign. Just, just saying. Dear world, come right across our open borders for unlimited free health care anytime. Love the Democrats. You know, the, the, think of all the ad possibilities. Every single Democratic candidate sunk their campaign with that line last night. Every single one of them raised their hands in favor of covering health care for illegal immigrants. Now, why don't you go to uh, uh, any emergency room in 
Dade Broward of Palm Beach County today and asked the struggling single mom who is there with her sick child or go to, uh, you know, an urgent care center somewhere in Dade and Broward County and look at the, uh, you know, the American worker who uh, doesn't have adequate health insurance or has such a large deductible that they can't access their health insurance right now. And the only reason they even have health insurance, uh, although they don't have to do it anymore, was because they didn't want to have to pay a penalty for not having it. They don't no longer are faced with that, thanks to uh, da- uh, Donald Trump. But you go into those emergency rooms and urgent care centers, or you just go into your workplace at the at the cooler, and you ask the struggling American who cannot access health care if they're okay with the Democrats giving free health care to illegal aliens, because. They're not, you know, I, I, I hate to to give you the bad news. Those of you who still think that there's a viable Democrat party. But that kind of stuff just alienates the elitists on the coasts further and further from the American people. The, the you know, you got to you got to figure that the president's loving this, that his campaign manager, Brad Pascal, is loving this. Because, again, the big winner of the debate last night, the big winner of the debate on Wednesday was Donald Trump. These are going to be TV ads all over the Midwest, all over the South. Um, Everything about uh, taxpayer-funded free health care to illegal immigrants. Decriminalized border crossing. No deportations. Free health care for illegal immigrants. I, I mean, this gives the president everything he needs to win the election. It's going to be in every ad, trust me. But apparently they're not, you know, they're not that. You're not the water, you're the faucet, Marion Williamson. She's so out there. I was trying to figure out last night, like, if I'm going to be taking her at all seriously. And it really, I got to tell you, she completely destroyed her prior career, her previous career as I don't know what she is, a feel-good guru. You know, I used to listen to these uh, Marion Williamson uh, inspirational messages and Marion Williamson meditations, guided meditations, and there's no way I will ever be able to listen to them again, ever. You know, after watching her shrieking last night about, uh, you know, the babies and and, and the American uh, morality and all that other stuff, like, uh, wait a second, did you just, uh, you know, basically tell half, if not more, of America that they have no morals and that they, um, that you equate them wanting to keep illegal immigrants out of the country um, with concentration camps or whatever the heck these people keep uh, referring to. Have you thought for a moment, Marion, about the issue that your party has staked out as one of its principal issues and you apparently agree with, which is abortion even in late terms? I mean, uh, Senator Gillibrand last night literally came out of the box defending late-term abortion. Now, I know what what my position is, okay? But I know a lot of pro-choice people who cringe when they think about that. You know, like, they would like to see lots of birth control. They believe that there should be access to medical procedures that are safe, few, rare, you know, rape, incest, those kinds of things, they, they believe that. 
but most of them are really uncomfortable when you start talking about late-term abortion, you know, or or abortion based on uh, perhaps an illness or a disability of a fetus. Ouch. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, but I watch this stuff, this this uh, stranglehold the left seems to have on a party that used to be very mainstream. You know, Bill Clinton would not fit in this party anymore. You know, the new Democrats, they, they don't fit in this party. And that's why when that Washington Post reporter heard the person next to her saying, I, uh, who are these people? I, I don't think I'm a Democrat anymore. That's going to become a very um, real cry. And they better heed it. Pat Sajak did have one of the best comments last night. Um, Zingers. Uh, on his Twitter account, he summed up about how most of us, or many of us, certainly me, felt all across the country watching the uh, second round of the first Democratic debates. He said, this could be worse. It could be a dinner party and I could be there. I uh, have the same sensation. You know, I was kind of concerned that I wasn't at these debates. I wasn't there to cover them. But after watching them, I, um, I'm really glad I was on my couch, really. And a lot of the people that were up on those stages for the last two nights, they'll be on their couch soon, too. I don't think a lot of them are going to make it into the uh, debates next month or, what is it, September? I'm not even sure when they are. But I'm predicting we'll be down to 10 before the next debate. And those 10 are uh, careening as far to the left as possible. We're talking, uh, I think Sanders will hang in, although not forever. I believe, uh, you know, Kamala Harris, uh, Mayor Buttigieg, um, Elizabeth Warren. Boy, I'm having trouble coming up with more names that I think will make it into the next debate. Um, Julian Castro, maybe. Um, Cory Booker, maybe. Oof, what a field. And fight against cancer. Oh, wait, it freeze. Okay, here we go. A lot of people asking me about Marion Williamson. Here is Marion Williamson as I knew her prior to last night. We see in the middle of our mind a little ball of golden light. We watch this light as it begins to grow larger and larger. Until now it covers the entire inner vision of our mind. You see for yourself within this light a beautiful temple. You see a garden that surrounds the temple and a body of water that flows through the garden. You see that the inside of the temple is lit by the same beautiful golden light. And here you are, for you have been born to this day. Oh my God. <laughs> 
It's going to be so hard. Like, I used to really enjoy these morning meditations with Marion Williamson. You know, like, not that I'm a big uh, golden ball of light kind of gal, but, you know, sometimes you just need something to, you know, help you to start the day calm and refreshed and relaxed. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much what my understanding of who Marion Williamson was. Uh, I have a good friend who basically turned me on to these meditations um, at a point in time where I was saying, gee, it'd be really nice if I had some sort of uh, morning meditation that was not, you know, difficult to listen to and would just, you know, quiet my so- my soul, you know. And uh, and I did. I started listening to these Marion Williamson meditations. I probably have a dozen of them on a YouTube channel that I go to all the time. And like, I'll never be able to listen to them again after last night. I mean, she she like turned right before my eyes from the girl with the golden light to like a shrew who thinks that uh, you know that that the president is is kidnapping babies she said these kidnapping these children it's like oh god is there no safe harbor for those of us who are just looking for a little peace a little tranquility my goodness but anyway uh, a couple of listeners had asked and i had one email from my friend gail who said please who was that woman what was she doing there i switched channels and saw her and i thought i had tuned into a bizarre infomercial (laughs) yeah yeah, I mean, you know, she's a lovely spiritual person. So why on earth she was standing there with the other nine lunatics on the left Well, is far beyond my... Uh, did you see the look on... Remember Cory Booker, the look on his face when... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Beto started speaking in Spanish, that abject look of like horror caught in the crossfire. That was the look Marion Williamson had on when... Uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden started duking it out. She's just like, whoa. And then she went right along with it and jumped in to the fray. Lord have mercy. But, uh, you know, something that came up early this morning for me. Uh, I I first saw it last night and I had decided I wasn't going to pay a lot of attention to it um, because I've been down this path before. And it never turns out well for my listeners and me. Um, I am about to irritate you beyond uh, all get out because I think no matter where you are, who you are, there's this respect for the Dalai Lama that um, supersedes your faith and your your reason, all of that. And, and, to, and to some extent, I was always part of that. Um, I remember when my daughter first got to Stanford, when she got into medical school she was uh, she is a neuropsychiatrist so for her it's the study of the brain that she was most interested in and her first year in medical school they actually had the Dalai Lama come in and he goes into a meditation a state of uh, meditative whatever you call it and my daughter called me that evening and said mom he flatlined, meaning there was no brain activity. She said, if we were able to find a way to get, like, for instance, a, a, a sufferer from PTSD to sh- be able to shut down their brain in that manner, the brain heals. 
it heals itself when it is not, you know, forced to be involved in all of the activities that we're involved in, autonomic and automatic. And so, you know, she was so impressed. And we got into a little discussion, and I was already um, of the opinion that it's kind of like when President Trump said that he prefers guys who don't get captured when discussing John McCain's uh, history. And he took a, you know, an enormous amount of flack for that. Of course, it didn't uh, stop him from winning the election and apparently didn't stop John McCain from dying with a grudge. But uh, be that as it may, I have done that in my own career a few times, made a comment that some people just find unpardonable. One of them was when I said that I really wished that Muhammad Ali would not be um, trotted around in public after he had become uh, so seriously debilitated. I said, because, you know, for me growing up, uh, Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, actually, and then Muhammad Ali, was this incredible human specimen. I mean, he was um, beautiful. I mean, he had like, uh, uh, in those days, you didn't get to see a lot of men's bodies. You know, you just, they People were dressed. There wasn't a lot of posing of men without shirts. And so a boxer with a physique like Muhammad Ali was like, you know, for a young girl, a teenage girl, he was like my idol, you know. And, and then when he got very ill later on, um, I just thought it was terrible that they would, you know, trot him around and, and you know, on walkers and wheelchairs and, you know, not, not able to talk. And um, my listening audience was furious that I would say that. Oh, he has every right and, you know, there's nothing wrong. He still can be a part of life. And I just, you know, for me, it's one of those things. I, I would rather not see people um, falling apart who were previously, you know, physical specimens beyond uh, the norm. The other person that I got in a lot of trouble with uh, comments about was the Dalai Lama. Because I said, you know what? Why doesn't the Dalai Lama go back to Tibet where his people are being slaughtered by the Chinese? You know, how important is it to have a Dalai Lama that's sitting in India and traveling around the world, you know, doing experiments at Stanford? Shouldn't he be championing the cause of his people? Now he's a celebrity. He could go over there. The Chinese are not going to kill him. You know, he should be in his country leading his, you know, Tibetan Buddhists. I guess that just seems to make sense to me. Oh, well, he'll get killed. And Gandhi didn't leave. You know, Nelson Mandela endured prison. Martin Luther King, you know, stayed out there in public and eventually was assassinated. You know, the real heroes are not the ones who flee the dangerous situation. The real heroes are the ones who stay and sometimes and sometimes die for their cause. So, uh, you know, the Dalai Lama wanted to uh, take on President Trump yesterday. And, you know, I'm playing this because for a person like me, this is laughable. You once said that you would be interested in meeting President Trump. Has he ever asked you for a meeting? No. 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 Uh, frankly speaking, you see... His emotion also a little bit <laughs> see, too complicated. <laughs> what do you mean by that? What do you think of him in office? One day he says something, another day he says something. But I think lack of moral principle. Oh, when he became president, he expressed 
अमेरिका फर्स्ट दैट इज रॉन्ग अमेरिका उसी शुड टेक द ग्लोबल रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी Yeah, we should take the globalist uh, responsibility for the world. Uh I don't think so, Dalai Lama. And I I think maybe if you said Tibet first uh or make Tibet great again or something like that that the Tibetan monks that are being killed and the Tibetan people that are being besieged uh would probably very be very grateful to have a leader, even a spiritual leader who says uh Tibet first just saying and nobody is going to say it again. Story of the week we'll play stump the millennial and much more we'll see you at 303 right here at 850 WFTL I'd like to kind of wrap up the week with something a little uh offbeat instead of uh tragic polit- political uh, commentary cuz it can get pretty tragic and it will have its moments of of jocularity uh, judging by last night's uh, debate uh, but it'll also have some extremely trying times for us all so i like to wrap the week up with uh, something a little lighter and uh, somebody had mailed this to me it's not the first time i've seen this but i think it is uh, it's kind of a, a a nice way for people of my age group uh to to well just to think about things you know this is for all the kids who survived the 1930s the 1940s and like me the 1950s first we survived being born to mothers who may have smoked and drank while they were pregnant they took aspirin they ate blue cheese dressing they ate tuna from a can and they didn't get tested for diabetes then after that trauma we were put to sleep on our tummies in baby cribs covered with brightly colored lead-based paints we had no child proof lids on our medicine bottles no locks on doors or cabinets and when we rode our bikes we had baseball caps not helmets on our heads as infants and children we would ride in cars with no car seats no booster seats no seat belts no airbags bald tires and sometimes no brakes riding in the back of a pickup truck on a warm day was a special treat we drank water from a hose and not from a bottle we shared one soft drink with four friends from one bottle and no one actually died from this we ate cupcakes white bread real butter bacon we drank Kool-Aid made with real white sugar and we weren't overweight why because we were always outside playing that's why we would leave home in the morning and play all day as long as we were back when the street lights came on no one was able to reach us all day and we were okay we would spend hours building go-karts out of scraps and then ride them down the hill only to find out that we forgot about brakes after running into the bushes a few times we learned to solve the problem We didn't have PlayStations, Nintendo, Xboxes, there were no video games, no 150 channels on cable, no video movies or DVDs, no surround sound or CDs, no cell phones, no personal computers, no internet and no chat rooms. We had friends and we went outside and found them. We fell out of trees, we got cut, we broke bones and lost teeth. and there were no lawsuits from those accidents we would get spankings with wooden spoons 
switches, ping pong paddles, or just a bare hand, and no one would call child services to report abuse. We ate worms and mud pies made from dirt, and the worms did not live in us forever. We were given BB guns for our 10th birthdays. There were 22 rifles for our 12th, road horses, made up games with sticks and tennis balls, and although we were told it would happen, we did not put out very many eyes. We rode bikes or walked to a friend's house and knocked on the door or rang the bell or just walked in and talked to them. Little League had tryouts and not everyone made the team. Those who didn't had to learn how to deal with disappointment. Imagine that. The idea of a parent bailing us out if we broke the law was unheard of. They actually sided with the law. Those generations have produced some of the best risk takers, problem solvers, and inventors ever. The past 60 to 85 years have seen an explosion of innovation and new ideas. We had freedom, failure, success, and responsibility, and we learned how to deal with it all. So if you were one of those born between 1925 and 1955, congratulations. We were the lucky ones. So thank you for your time this time. Until next time, I'll be back on Monday at 10 a.m. if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are a whole lot of debates. So just uh, keep your sense of humor sharpened and uh, keep your wits about you. I love you all. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sharina. But most of all, thank you for listening. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America.